Welcome to Perspectives. My name is Bruce. This is a place for engaging conversations from a variety of cultural and faith perspectives. Today on the podcast, I'm really excited to welcome friends from America via Ukraine and many other countries. Andrew and Dar Draper. Man, that your opening That's was great. like I wanted to listen to every podcast I've ever done. <laughs> that was that awesome. Opening was like welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having us. Our pleasure to be here. Your greatness <laughs> mm-hmm. precedes you. I am really excited to have you guys because, um, first of all, you're here in person, and it's so much nicer to have conversations in real life uh, versus just Zoom all the time. So I would like to back up and just get our listeners to understand a little bit of your story. Take us back to your early life, your faith, uh, and give us a little snapshot of a uh, of your story, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, um, we'll start with me. I'm a little bit older, <laughs> five months. So I was uh, born in um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I was raised in a family that uh, was a church-going Christian family. I'm thankful for my heritage. Raised, pretty much loved God my whole life and um, and tried to follow him and had preconceived ideas of what ministry was and wanted to be in ministry and thought I'd have to marry a pastor to be in ministry. And uh, God had me on a very interesting journey of going to YWAM Youth of the Mission when I was 18 and um, and then to university where I became a theater uh, teacher and majored in, in theater education so that I could use it as a tool, but really longed to be in ministry and uh uh, and God had to kind of undo a lot of thoughts for me of what ministry was and that everything is ministry. That's kind of the beginning of our of our, mm-hmm. of our journey. And Andrew, you were born and raised in North Carolina? Raleigh, North Carolina, yes. Um, yeah, my family was a little different. We, we went to a Methodist church, but it was uh, kind of you just went. You know, like I, I was confirmed as a believer, but I had no idea who Jesus was. I just really had this... Uh, there's something deep inside of me that just really wanted to know God. And so I was, my mom used to deliver the uh, literature for Sunday school classes. And I'd always go with her. It was always on a Saturday. So the whole church was empty and all the classrooms were empty and the sanctuary was empty. But I was always drawn to the sanctuary. Like I would go deliver something. I'd go in the sanctuary. The Methodist church was just, just really cool how they lay stuff out. It was beautiful wood and colors and the Bible was laid open and I would just go in there and just feel the presence of the Lord but I didn't even know him um, and it but it was because of that church there was a guy in that church Hal Thompson took an interest in my mom and I because my dad left when I was one and so he was I think he was keen on the whole thing of you know helping orphans and widows and my mom was like a widow <laughs> mm-hmm. and I just left alone to raise four boys and so he always looked out for us, and so he paid for me to go to a, a Christian camp, and that's where I gave my heart to the Lord. So How old were you? I was, uh, I think I was 11, and I think about this one man, you know, stroking a check to me to pay for me to go to camp, and all the lives along the way that were touched because the Lord got a hold of my life, and I'm like, how powerful mm-hmm. that is that this man is probably still in heaven going, oh my gosh, this is amazing, <laughs> all these people. And no telling who else he did that for, but um, yeah, just one act of being obedient to the Lord can change so many lives. So, so you guys met in college. Uh, where was that? In Appalachian State University. Mountaineers, yeah, Boone, North maybe. Carolina. Boone, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. 
So you all were in college. Take us back to that moment. It's always interesting. Did you know right away? I did, actually. Uh, I have one of those stories. I was actually dating somebody that was with me at this event. (laughs) And I I saw, I heard Andrew share his testimony and and speak. And I was struck by him. And I was like, that's the guy I'm going to marry. I told my mom. I was struck by her beauty, well, um, but I, I didn't think like, hey, this is, you know, but there was something about her, you know, that was just intriguing to me. And I saw her then, and then I saw her one, I think one other time that year. And, you know, when I saw her, it was something weird. Like, you don't ever hug somebody twice in one conversation. Like, it's just weird. You know, I did. I hugged her <laughs> twice, and I was like, that was a little weird. I probably shouldn't have. But it was, I was just drawn to her. And so I tried to wedge myself in close to her because I knew my girlfriend was coming. So you both later. We, had, and so, we did. But she so. knew I was dating somebody. I didn't think she knew. But so I was trying to get in close to her. So I didn't want her to think that I was dating somebody. <laughs> So yeah. All right. So there was some magnetism. Yes. And wow, that was a affirming. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I just prayed. I prayed over the summer, and they ended up breaking up. We broke up. Next fall, it was on. <laughs> yeah. So how, from the moment that you all started dating to when you got married, how long was that? That was about a, about a year. We got engaged after about six months, okay. and got married about six months later. Wow. And how yes. old? How old were you all? Twenty one and twenty two. She has this real interesting story about her praying. She was praying for me constantly after she met me. And then she finally just got tired of it. Like, I don't know who this guy is. I'm tired of praying for him. She's like, Lord, if you want something to happen with us, let me see him one more time. It's right at the very end of the school year. And I lived right close to the business building. So I was walking to class. And as soon as she prayed that, her car came over the hill and she saw me immediately and she was like she started banging on her dash i want to marry him (laughs) it didn't you know it probably was too that i was very attractive (laughs) let's fast forward you all get married uh where did you get married we got married um near our college in a little country town called vilas north carolina what was the first phase of marriage like what were you doing we were still in school. We actually, were, it was our senior year, our second senior year. So mm-hmm. we were um, in school and we just, we finished up school together. And then we went into, um, uh, we ended up moving to Charlotte, the bigger city, and went through what we called our Egypt years. We did focus on God in college. We we were actively like in ministry in college, but I think there was a lot of spiritual pride in that. In that um, and, and thinking um, according to kind of, I call it the spiritual ladder of success. You know, like you want, like we're kind of trying to achieve our way to spiritual mm-hmm. greatness. And so I think it was such the Lord's wisdom that he would take us to the wilderness mm-hmm. and take us into a time. When and we continually w- does. He, and he yeah. does over and over. There are those seasons. Yeah, for me, um, I had to start working for my father-in-law. And um, I think he enjoyed the fact that he could, and it was in uh, residential remodeling. And so he had me doing the worst things. I was crawling under houses, pulling out rock wool insulation, and just completely miserable. I was like a fish out of water, knew nothing about carpentry. And so I didn't know how to read a speed square or nothing, and I was forced into this thing, and I hated it for like three for, years. For three years, I worked in that. I don't know why. I was thinking, like, why didn't I just leave and go do something else? But I, I just, I think the Lord, I mean, I know the Lord, had a plan and a purpose. One, to humble me. I was doing these just, you know, digging ditches, digging holes. and and But along the way, I was learning a trade. 
And I had no idea that it would help me mm-hmm. later on. So then later on, I actually started a business because about my carpentry skills, um, doing inspections for the bank on new construction. That was a tent making during our ministry years. And then while I was children's pastor, a friend of mine and I, who was the youth pastor, we would do jobs on the side, remodeling jobs. And so it ended up being this source of provision, something that I hated and despised became this source of provision for us. So it's like, it's one of those things of like, you think that you're in this time that's absolutely awful and you don't understand why it's happening. And then all of a sudden down the road, you're like, oh, that's why. Mm -hmm. And now I really enjoy carpentry. Mm -hmm. Do you have any son-in-laws that you can send under the house to pull out (laughs) insulation? Not yet. No, <laughs> but I probably, well, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be as extreme as that was. You're out of this period of humbling, and I think we all can identify. You first get married, you're very idealistic, and you have all these dreams and visions, and they just, life doesn't work out the way we think, uh, or as quickly as we hope. Transitioned us to working with the church, which really represents a huge section of yes. your timeline. Mm-hmm. How did that come about and and what were you all doing? We had been um, teachers and started using my my education to start a, a theatrical school and creative arts school where we did camps and classes and all that. And we started going to a church that we loved. Our, our, our pastor asked me to come on staff part-time as a creative director, and then God really highlighted Andrew as the person to take over the children's ministry. And so it was really interesting. We are married about 15 years at that time. And I was like, wow, I, am, I got that heart's desire of being married to a pastor. But at that point, it didn't mean wasn't a source of identity. It was just the next thing. And it was wonderful. So we had 10 amazing years on staff where we learned it was really, truly a uh, a learning, uh, an incubator time, I think, of learning so many lessons. And I, I'm really so grateful to our, our pastor. And uh, I think I appreciate him even more after being on staff. When you leave, uh, you appreciate the lessons learned from that season. The best job I've ever had in my life was being a children's pastor. It was just a phenomenal time in my life. i I felt so used because all of everything the Lord put inside of me, I was able to use. And it really leading up to it was so cool because um, I had this kind of you know, fear of becoming a children's pastor because I'd never done it before. And I was asked to be this children's. And I was like, I don't know anything about it. I remember praying. I was like, Lord, I've never been a children's pastor before. And he immediately said to me, well, you've never built a waterfall either. I'd built this waterfall in my backyard and it just came out amazing. It was like beautiful koi pond, this, this cascading waterfall that came down the hill and made this beautiful sound in our backyard. And it was full of teeming with life frogs. And it was just a beautiful little place. And I was sitting, sitting out there looking at it and I started to think, you know, everything in this waterfall was provided. I didn't buy one thing except for the liner. You know, the, the, the pump station, which is very expensive, all of the rock, everything was given to me, and it was all provided for. And I just felt the hand of the Lord going, you're going to do a great job, and it's going to look like this. And you don't think you can do it, mm. but you're going to do it well because I'm going to be with you. Mm, that's really good. At some point during this season where you are kind of in the zone, bringing yourself fully to what you're doing, and Dar, you're married to the 
children's mm-hmm. pastor. You're, <laughs> you're, I, I know you're super, um, what would the word be? You, you instigate a lot of projects. You're able to get things going. You have a real, obviously creative, but marketing, uh, visual creative persona. So I, I am, you're doing all kinds of stuff too at that time. But what I'm really interested in as I thought about interviewing or just having conversation was the beginnings of transition because you're seemingly happy in a great place. You've got three kids and four at this time, four at Mm -hmm. that point and take us through, you know, what happened in there because things seemed to be pretty stable and you all were happy. Yeah. There was a a little uh, restlessness that was starting to um, percolate within us for about a year and a half. Um, we, we, we felt like there's something more, there's, there's just something more. And we were extremely, uh, when I say comfortable, I don't even mean that in a negative way. I mean it like pleasurable. It was a great, a great position that we had at, at the church and our church had grown really big. We're both full time. It was just a great community of people to be with, but yeah, there was just restlessness that there's more out there. And so I prayed this prayer, Lord, give me more of a heart for your kids in the world. Like, I just want more of a heart. And I heard the Lord speak to me, okay, but you'll cry a lot. And I was like, I'm not even a crier. Like, I don't cry. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm just, it wasn't, I, I was a lover of people, but not a, um, maybe as compassionate, where I empathize with people all the time. I was great at rejoicing with those who rejoice, but not mourning with those who mourn. And so I um, was, was like, okay, well, we'll see what happens with that. And a couple weeks later, I got a message, and it was an invitation to host an orphan from Ukraine. Mm. Um, there was a hosting program, and my friend messaged and said, there's this one kid left from the orphanage. He's tall. I thought of your family, mm-hmm. and I had one day to, to decide. And I'm like, well how can we, or children's pastors, how do you say no to an orphan at Christmas? That would just be wrong, you know? <laughs> and God actually really confirmed to us and our kids were on board. And so we said, yes. And so thinking we'd just have this kid come, give him a good time, send him back. So about a week into him coming, he's fitting perfectly into our family. Our boys love him. Um, it's it's just this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like not as attached to him yet. I'm just... The, but the gravity hit me that this kid has no parents. Like, I'm about 45 years old. Um, I've been working with children through camp ministry, through the church my whole life, whole adult life, and I never considered the orphan. Like, it wasn't on my radar. Didn't think about orphans. Loved Little Orphan Annie, my favorite play. But <laughs> like, didn't really think about orphans. I started weeping over... The fact that this kid had no parents, like this kid living in our house, who's going to teach him right from wrong? Who's going to be there to advise? Like I, 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 he's the same age, like right there with my, we had three more weeks with him. And by the end, our whole family was so attached. He was at, we're at the airport. All of us are just a puddle and we sent him back to Ukraine. And then we had to send this person that fit in our family. We had to send him to a country at war with Russia in the East was his orphanage. And it, stirred us um tremendously to where we had to go and we had to like the lord just gently led us um step by step we went 
I went the first trip with a friend. We got to know his friends. And when we met his friends, we're like, and we learned about the orphan crisis of what happens to Asia orphan grads, the, the, the rates of prostitution, incarceration, suicide rates. It was so devastating what happens to these kids when they age out of the orphanage that we're like, we have to do more. Now, Andrew, where are you in this journey? Actually, you know, the Lord moved on me before Dar. Like I, I would tell her like, Dar, I feel like there's going to be a transition for us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when. And this was like a couple years before that. So I knew something was coming and I could just feel it. And um, that's not because of issues at work. Or no, no. Relationships. But, but there were some, you know, there were some times where things didn't work. You, you didn't feel like you were treated fairly. I think it's that's a time we have to be careful because a lot of times we'll put that on an organization or a person, but it's really the Lord, like just trying stirring to you stirring up. you. Mm-hmm. He's making you think, you know, making you think about your life, and then making you um, almost feel uncomfortable in the nest because this was such a cool nest, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was great. It was like great job, great people, great leaders. I mean, we were learning so much. I love doing children's ministry. I mean, I could, every. Every service I did, I was laughing and having the best time ever. And but that, the Lord was just stirring, like man, something's coming. And so when this happened, when we went over to Ukraine and visited that orphanage, everything changed inside of me. And because the Lord was like, it was so fruitful. Like all the children that we ministered to, all of them gave their life to the Lord at the same time. Like we asked, did a call for salvation. That we made this. Um, cartoon called the greatest story and we had it translated into russian and and we played that for the kids and all of them raised their hand for salvation i think it was 14 or 11 of the 19 kids that were uh, sasha's classmates gave their lives to the lord and after that it's like how do you say goodbye you know how do you say hey man i'm glad you gave your life to the lord now see ya (laughs) there's like there's just so much unfinished these kids have to be discipled they have to be loved on they have to learn how to do things in a in a in a good way and learn how to you know know the lord i told dar i was like dar we've got to do something like i feel this is it and so that took us on the journey to start praying and fasting about what's next i'd love for our listeners and also myself to understand a little bit of that transition a little more so when you come over for your first trip your heart's already a mess you're you're praying, seeking God, and now going back to the, the nest that you describe. I wrote down here seasons of doubt where during this period, <laughs> I think there's so many people that have had wonderful seasons, yeah. and but their time is running out or they're, they're overstaying in a place where God's maybe trying to push them out of the nest and take risk. And you all, not when you're 20, not when you're 30, in your 40s, up and made a massive decision. Drill down a little bit more well, for those that are thinking that's maybe easy. I'll say real quick, it's like we tried to make it work because we loved our nest. We're like, could we combine the nest with this other air, you know? Right. And the Lord's like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Um, so we tried to. We like, you know, Dar was trying to negotiate. I'm like, you know, how she could still go to Ukraine, but yet be a children's pastor. And you our, want it all. Yeah, I did. I wanted and, everything. Uh, but there was a, I mean, there was a moment where my pastor asked me, we were meeting with him and he was just such a great pastor. And I think it's just, he felt it from the Lord. He was like, do you feel like this is, 
you know, what you're supposed to be doing right now. And I was like, Pastor Jay, I, I don't know. And so that was the moment. It was like this bam moment of, okay, I just laid it on the line. And I'm praying and fasting for my termination. <laughs> I mean, he's not terminating me, but, you mm-hmm. know, then I'm going to, you know, possibly resign this. Like, I'm into resigning the, into the great unknown. this awesome nest. I'm, you know, like, that was the moment for me was, like, I swear I put it out there and go, like, no, I, I can't just, like, tell you yes because I'm comfortable. 18 months before we made the decision um, was when we were, we were really – start even having meetings with our pastor, feeling some kind of transition. I had a dream. Um, it was after about a, I think we did a, like a five day fast and I had this dream right after that. And I was at the a dream. I was at the airport and I had all this, they're calling the last call to get on the plane. And uh, I was about to get on the plane and there's all this baby equipment sitting there. And at that point I was actually the pastor over the zero to five year olds. And, but at, there's all this baby equipment, about five pieces of, you know, car seats and all this. And they called me to get on the plane. And I'm like, I can't take this with me. I can't get on the plane. And there's somebody from the children's ministry at the gate. And I was said, can you take this stuff? I don't know what to do with it. And, and she just looked at me like, this is crazy. And I grabbed one piece of like this, uh, this white fleecy, it was summertime, but I grabbed this white winter fleecy baby garment to take stuffed it in my overnight bag and got on the plane. So it was 18 months before. And so when we're about to have our last meeting with our pastor and kind of executive team about this decision, I'm up like all night trying to figure out a plan. How can I, oh, I'll be artistic director. I'll, I can do this artist in residence or just try to come up with something. (laughs) And, um, and I was like, Lord, I wish you just give me a dream. And he's like, I already did. And I remembered that. I remember that part of taking that white garment and he's like you can't take a garment of a previous previous season with you into the next you you just need to go you know and he's like you don't need it and so we went into this meeting and there was such grace and they were so wonderful to us this is where the faith rubber meets the road type stuff so we have this meeting um and our, our pastor says okay uh well we'll tell the congregation mid mid uh august and in the end of august you'll be done and so we were like, we'll have two weeks. Like we basically quit our jobs and had two weeks of people knowing till we were launched into our own life. And we're like, how do you fundraise in two weeks? How do you, what are we going to do? What are we, had such a piece that God was saying to do this as painful as it was. And it took a long, we grieve, had to grieve a lot too. Um, and we stayed at that church. Like we stayed there as church members after being on staff for 10 years. And that's a whole nother um, layer. Everyone thought we were crazy. They're like, you are absolutely crazy. That's right. And uh, one of our dear friends was like, well, what are you going to do about insurance? Like, they're just bringing up these practical right, right. matters. Just, friends like that who needs enemies. Yeah. It just crushed us. And I we mean, were like, that our, one thing our made bubble, us melt into our chair. Like, yeah, our we're bubble, so dumb. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> we are ridiculous. Like, we have no paycheck. We have four kids. And like, Lord, what are we going to do about insurance? You know? And I heard the Lord so clearly speak John 4. So I was like, okay. I go get my Bible. I'll look at John 4. And it was, it was this two, two parts of a lesson here. The, it was when the Samaritan and the disciples were off to get him some food. So they come back and they're like, Rabbi, eat something. He says, like, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And I, God was like, part A, you are going to be nourished by me. Like, I will nourish you. I will see that you are taken care of. The disciple 
the disciples cared about, they were his friends. And they're like, you got to eat something. Like, what does somebody already feel? They're thinking in the natural. It's like, your friends love you and they, they want your needs to be met. And they're thinking that way, but you're always going to receive from me. You're going to receive from the father. Well, the second part was right. I can't even believe that this is in the Bible, but right after Jesus says, because I was saying to the Lord, why didn't we just ask Pastor Jay? Why didn't we just ask if we could go till the end of the year? Like we should have just asked for four more months. It's gonna take you a we, while to find another September, pastor. You know. October, November, I'm not December. That replaceable. Yeah. yeah, I'm like it's gonna take a while. And so why didn't I was just going? So the very next verse is, it is said four more months and then the harvest. But I say look around. The harvest is now, and the harvest is 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 souls for eternal life. And I couldn't even believe that that was in the Bible. It's like I was just begging the Lord for like you know, like, oh, or just complaining that I didn't ask for four more months. And he's like, no, the harvest is now. And what we saw was miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And and for five years now, we started um, our mission, the GLOW mission, stands for Go Love Others Well. And he has paid for every trip. He has paid for all of our needs. He has covered, there's not one thing that was truly needed that our kids in Ukraine needed um, that was not covered. It was such a time of, uh, turmoil. I mean, it was cool. Like there was amazing things that we saw, but mm-hmm. I remember riding in my car and I was doing inspections for the bank, but they were closing out. They basically told me, Hey, this is ending. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to stop doing construction loans. We're not going to need you. And I was losing that little bit of income that I had that I was able to produce. And I remember driving my car crying going, mm-hmm. Lord, like i I took this step because you told me and I'm stepping out here and then you're just going to do this to me. You're just going to, we're not going to make it this month. I don't understand. Why did you do this? Then why aren't you meeting? And I was just, you know, whining and and I was just honest with the Lord. I didn't understand why. And it didn't seem like we were going to make it. And, you know, it was just that financial pressure, but we made it fine. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was like, it was at the end last minute, you know, we finally had enough to, make it through. Can I but ask it was you a question a, yeah. with, uh, for both of you, what, what did you learn about yourself in that transition and stepping out of the boat onto the water and trusting God in like a, a really a legit way, kids, mortgage, house, cars, all the trappings of America and responsibilities that are there. And you were not planning at that time to just go to Ukraine and live you were planning to still operate and move and live and within America. So that's, that's an even bigger, in a sense, cost of living and, and trust factor going on there. I think trust is God's love language. Like he loves when we trust him. He loves when we believe in him. He like the, the two things that I think irritate the Lord more than anything is lack of belief and the religious spirit, you know, and it's, I, I believe that, that we just were childlike and we're like, oh, he said it. Well, he'll do it. Like that we believed him. Um, and that, that causes intimacy. Like that causes like a closeness. Like I think I learned like he's so trustworthy. He's so surprising. The way he provided was not, I couldn't calculate it. I couldn't anticipate it. Even we had other missionary friends even say, you know, you'll be surprised who supports you. Uh, a lot of people supported us, but it, it was like so surprising um, how the Lord would bring provision in so many unique and special ways. The day after we quit our jobs, 
uh, our 25th anniversary was coming up and we were like, we really wanted to do something special for our 25th anniversary. You're like, you know, it's 25 years. You want to go somewhere? We're like, we just quit our jobs, you know? And our friend the day after invited us to go on a cruise and paid for it. And we're like, we just quit our jobs. Felt like we want a cruise. You know, <laughs> like you get this for obeying God. And so the Lord would take care of things like that. Like all these hearts desires and he is so uniquely met our needs and our heart's desires. And I think I just learned that he's so trustworthy. Well, I guess more about him. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, it's, it's uh, the yeses that we say to him. For us, that childlike yes, when it makes no sense, when we said yes to him in a, in a position of not knowing how this is going to work, like if there's nothing in the natural that would say you should do this, but because we know we heard the Lord and we said yes, he just took us on this journey. And I think that's the, the coolest thing about the Lord is when we say yes to him, we open up this journey and that he's going to take you on and he's going to show you how really is. And so that's what I mean. What I would say is like, man, whatever he asks you to do, say yes. Because it's an invitation, just like Dar said, to intimacy, but it's an invitation to a journey that will give you amazing stories to tell of how great God is, firsthand examples of how good he is and how he provides for you and, and he take you to places you never expected to be. And it's, it's just been the most incredible thing we've, we've ever done. And, um, it just but it's not been out. easy. No. no. And, oh, gosh. and, uh, and, and sometimes I know growing up, particularly in, you know, evangelical and charismatic circles, there's this idea that the yes and obedience is going to lighten your load and make the journey full of mountaintop experiences. But really, the valley is where the intimacy, God turns up the heat, you know, and he's really getting, getting at the false parts of ourselves and the, the fluff. When I hear how difficult that transition, even with all the places where God has met us, the formational experience of trusting God is a surrender, constant surrender is worth it. But uh, to not give people the false expectations that, you know, just up and quit your job and yeah. it's all going <laughs> to oh, yeah. come together. You really need to hear the Lord on this, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so turning the corner on this conversation, the last five years, GLOW uh, began with a focus toward the aged out orphans, particularly in the eastern parts of Ukraine. And from there, can you just walk us through the first couple years uh, in summary and then bring us to where GLOW is today, presently, even with the war and your trip? It started with, you know, God highlighting this one little group and we felt like God said, pour yourself into this little garden, like this little plot of land, this group of kids from this orphanage invest there and I'm going to use one of them to help change the nation. And so we didn't go broad or wide. We just went deep. We tried to go deep, but we were learning culture. We realized how different Americans are. You're still living in America. We are still living in America. Yeah. So um, we would go over, we would travel to Ukraine about three or four times a year. It was very organic the way it developed. And I I really like it that way. I like it step by step. Like we, we couldn't have a five-year plan. There's no way we could have made a five-year plan and executed it. It was obey the next step and see what happens. And um, although it would be great and the way Americans are wired, it would be great to put your five-year 
plan. And we would meet people and they would join our team. We'd have people translate for us. We don't even speak the language. So we were so dependent on Ukrainians and we met kingdom people in Ukraine and they would, we formed a team that would be there for the kids when we weren't there. And we just did a lot, uh, thankfully through, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger and a lot of communication. So I would, when I was in the States, it was like daily communications with these kids, just really trying to be family for them. Like, cause they had lots of ministries come and give them candy and take pictures and the way ministry can be done on a, a short term missions trip. They, they, it's not, it's, it's people, they want relationship. They need to build relationship. We had so many failures in what our plans were and, and then some really wonderful things that happened too. So one huge lesson I learned in all this is I can't change anybody. I can't change a person. I think I thought I could, but I was used to parenting under 18 (laughs) and you're just trying to get them to think the way you want them to think. But when you parent young adults and especially, um, orphan grads in a aged out in a in a country that you know a whole different culture like I couldn't change anyone only God can change a heart but I could be there to love I can just love and be there for advice and so we made a lot of mistakes in the way we did things and we've learned a lot of lessons but we do those parents too and there's so much grace for us we had no intention of moving to Ukraine but it was made clear that we were supposed to move and um on one trip it was it was before a trip and during a trip we made that decision. And so we ended up selling everything or almost everything we had, uh, giving things away. And we moved to Ukraine in June of 2021. And uh, we were there the last eight months before the war. And we thought at that time too, we had these projects we were going to finish with our group of grads that we've been working with. And we felt the Lord said to us before we moved, um, build connections with as many other ministries as possible. Work uh, collaboratively. God's already doing so much in Ukraine. We're just coming to be a part of it, you know? And so all these connections that we thought were for certain goals we had. And when the war happened and we had to evacuate and go back home, all of those connections, we all worked together during the war for a whole different purpose, but it's been beautiful. You know, I look at that time now, it was very, very hard for me. But I look at it now, and it was just, it was beautiful. And we'll put links to Glow and and for folks to get in touch with you and learn more about your life and ministry. You had a house in Kiev that was a perfect space and that's been used for um, all kinds of refugees and transit and folks in on your team. We can sometimes get lost in the productive things that look so successful, and yet you guys providing the visual of a loving marriage and home and the space for others to come into that love, you know, just like a father, son, spirit, you know, the perfect relationship that we're invited into in enjoying that love. You, you guys have in a short amount of time created a vision for community, even for Ukrainians who many of those that you're working with have never tasted of the love that's in, that God has designed in family. You guys brought the kingdom in a real tangible way. And in America, we look and go, well, should we donate to that? Yes. Like that, that's the heavy lifting in the kingdom. It's it, as much as the humanitarian aid and the, all of the, the other things are important, a vision for how to live and love and be, you know, as a family uh, is what, 
really will help build the culture. Yeah. I like to say something here. I uh, was was encouraged by some a really good friend before we left. Just go be you. Just go to Ukraine and be Dar. And I was like, what? It just didn't seem enough. Like <laughs> that doesn't seem enough. I have to have all these projects and blah blah. And and then I found the most effective thing I. I did like between the big planned projects, we'd have these moments of community and and dinners and people over and we'd Mm -hmm. sit and share hearts. And those were the most effective times, Mm -hmm. just being present, being there, inviting people in. uh, It was amazing to me. That really was, it's almost like we're these little kids and he lets us, okay, we'll let you have your plans and you can play organization or whatever. (laughs) Um, One time I just put art supplies out. I just put a bunch of art supplies and food. I'm like, I can't even speak this language. Like I was so, I felt so useless sometimes. I'm like, I feel like I'm a facilitator of community, but I, I sometimes just listening to everyone speak and rushing around me and know they were enjoying each other. And I'm like, and Ukrainian now. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of our kids speak Russian, but they would, um, they would, they would just, um, I don't know, they would just enjoy the the time and the space. And, and I would be like, that's enough. It's enough mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, I would say real quick, also, um, you know, th- thinking about, you know, the humanitarian effort now that we're able to do, and, you know, I feel like we're able to touch a whole lot of lives, you know, touch them, but like to deeply impact one person. Like I think about Timothy and how I, I know that we deeply impacted him. The ripple effect of that, I think, will far exceed all these little touches. Now, all those little touches are so important mm-hmm. and because it's just showing who God is and that he cares for so many. But if you can deeply impact one person, that's what changes the culture. So, so coming to the end of our time, uh, the war obviously has uprooted and changed all kinds of plans, uh, working together with other ministries and helping in Borodyanka and Bucha and uh, Urpin and all these spaces that were previously occupied. Y'all have been helping to purchase and raising funds for houses. Can you just speak to that and maybe tell people how they can help? The big problem coming up was once October comes, the winter starts, and so many of the elderly weren't able to get out of these villages. They don't have the means or the capacity to do it. And so we found the solution was these micro homes and they're equipped to where they can, you know, withstand the winter uh, and be a place, you know, a temporary place to where hopefully one day the government will help them rebuild. But especially in these villages, that's going to take a long time because they're I'm sure you've just like, come from there. So you've seen with your eyes, the devastation yeah. and the conditions that people are, are ill prepared for this coming winter. Yeah, there's just uh, holes are riddling everything. Roofs are missing. It's like it's apocalyptic. I mean, it's like unbelievable the things you see and there people are living in the midst of it. They're living in root cellars and sheds and with neighbors and you know anywhere they can. They have no hope. I mean, they're just desperation crying. And when you bring this little home in, this little $4,000 home once it's fully equipped, like just the light that comes on and you see someone's humanity that's being changed in front of your eye that they have hope yeah, again. restoring their dignity yeah. and they're they have they can start dreaming again because they have a home they have a shelter and that's the beginning of so much for so many just having a home and so uh, we're able to do that and that's been our push right now is to try to get as many of these homes as we can in before october it's been um 
it, it's been amazing to see behind that, like it's a physical need that's being met. Um, but Sergey's team, this in one, one village, um, there was like 12 people they helped and they had all these, the, them all come to a lunch and he, he shared with them, they had this beautiful meal, a couple hours together, talked about the Lord and invited them into a relationship with God. And all of them wanted that. All of them were like, we, we want this. They were all crying. And that, that's really what this is um, about is the people. It's not, it's a hundred homes, but it's really a hundred people plus Mm -hmm. their families that are, um, that are being given a hope and being led to the source of hope. They plan on sticking with those people and, and developing relationships. And the key too, is that starting a church in that area that's based all around helping others and because there's so much need. And so when you can bring these people in who have, have been helped and then they come in and they're able to help others now that they can dream and believe again. Um, so that's the vision also is to bring a church community there where people can be discipled. These ones that have given their lives to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty from ashes. I'm really glad to know more about your story and how you met each other. We're so immediately attracted to one another (laughs) and you still radiate today. And that's what I think is a strength of, you know, what you bring to this world and your ministry and your mission with glow is God is continues to fill you both with love. And I know everyone that's met you uh, is your infectious joy and love and hope, even in the middle of this war that's so uncertain moving forward do you have any sense of what lies ahead for glow for your family next six months year i know that's a hard question i don't like getting it myself yeah that's a very hard question the thing with glow that's very comforting to us it stands for go love others well and it's endless the ways you can do that aren't we really are passionate about igniting believers to go love others well to fulfill the great commission through the greatest commandment everybody wants to be great right and we just want to, and, and the greatest thing you can do is to love god with everything and love others so uh, that can take on many forms and we'll, we'll just trust god step by step he'll continue to lead us we have a a true heart for children still and really want to ignite them to go love others well uh, we're investing the lives of some of our grads through grad grants uh, we've given to them a lot over the last five years, and now we have restructured to where uh, we promised that we'd stick with them until 2022, and kind of we're in this kind of program with them until 2022. But now, and they're spread out all over. They're now. all over. They're all over the world now. They're they're not only in Ukraine. They're all over, um, and all over Ukraine and all over the globe, really. But we have this program called Grad Grants, where now they can apply for a grant, and if they are going to do a project where they're going to love others well. Then when they just ask for money, we're like, well, we only give money now to those who do things for others and you can apply for a grant. And it's been so awesome. Even during the war, we did have an influx of support at one point during the war where we were able to be more generous, <laughs> you know, because and there was so much need and so many emergencies. But I would, t- I told one kid, I was like, Hey, I'm going to give you extra and, uh, and you find somebody to help. And they were like, what, who, what do I do? What do you mean? You know, cause these are kids who are used to handouts, you know, mm-hmm. and they're used to being given to, and they may even expect and are a bit entitled, but I was like, just, I'm sure there's lots of people around who need help. Just find someone to help. This kid is now one of our interns who is living in our house in Kiev, working with Sergey's team and putting houses in for babushkas. We're preparing for the next big yes. 
and what's that going to be? Because we're, we're on this journey with the Lord, and we know he's going to ask us to do something. And, you know, we're crazy enough to say yes. And so we just want, you know, there's no real big plan. I mean, we've got things in our heart that we'd like to do, but really it's just a matter of, of being in a posture of being able to say yes to whatever he asks us to do next. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That's it's been really enjoyable to hear some of your story. And for the Ukrainians listening, uh, we know this podcast has been mostly focused on a Western perspective, missionaries, and but to know that our hearts are really with all of you, Absolutely. all of our friends, all the grads, all our partners. Um, we are praying for you. We're hurting with you, and by God's grace, uh, we'll be able to connect and serve in more ways in the future as well. So from glow to perspectives, we love you all, miss you all.